Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents The Kingdom Driven Family Podcast with your host, Andrea Schwartz. This podcast will equip and empower you to help advance Christ's kingdom through God's primary institution, the family, building a home that serves Christ and His kingdom. Hello, this is Andrea Schwartz with the Homeschool Help uh, Ministry of the Calcedon Foundation. And I am joined by my uh, co-host and friend, Nancy Wilk. And she is with Church in Maine, which has a ministry to homeschoolers in her area. And both of us, as you can tell by the color of our hair, are seasoned women who um, are past the immediate child rearing stage in our life. We're former homeschool moms, but we're very much active grandparents and have embraced our role as Titus to older women to help younger women who are interested in obeying God, keeping his commandments with regards to their role as wives and mothers. And today we're going to talk about discipline. So Nancy, I know you hear the question, why don't you, for the sake of uh, bringing us to the, the core of what we want to talk about, what's the question you hear most often with regards to the subject of discipline? Well, you know, that, that big D word is just about as scary as the big S, you know, what's worse, discipline or submission? Um, And the fact is that they're they're not too far apart in terms of our um, how how we um, perceive our um, self under the lordship of Christ. But um, I think one of the big questions that people often ask is, what's the difference between discipline and punishment? Is it the same thing? How do you know when to discipline? How to discipline? any all of that stuff i mean it it just goes from there so we have to put discipline in um in a a biblical context just like everything so that we know what we're talking about so let's start andrea with what does it mean what does discipline mean okay so before i define discipline i'm going to define a root word that has the same root as discipline and that's disciple and the Great Commission, Jesus's final instructions after he told them that all power had been granted him in heaven and earth. So he was saying, don't worry, folks, I'm in charge and it's going to work out. And then he gave instructions and the destruct, the instruction was to make disciples of all nations or another way to say it is to disciple the nations. So what does it mean? to be a disciple. Well, a disciple is one who is a follower and adherent to someone. And so Jesus was calling them to be his disciples. And then he was calling them and us to disciple others. And so when you are exerting discipline, you are attempting to create a disciple. And just like there's always going to be religion, it will either be one religion or another, someone is always being discipled into something 
whether it's a disciple of Jesus Christ, a disciple of the state, a disciple of an other ideology. And so when we think of discipline today, oftentimes we think of what you said, punishment or correction. Well, think of discipling and discipline as a giant toolbox. And in that toolbox, there are lots of different tools. Uh, there's an expression that says, if all you have is a hammer, everything is a nail. Well, guess what? Sometimes you need a screwdriver. Sometimes you need a saw. Sometimes you need a little putty to make something, you know, cover a hole or whatever it is. I'm not much of a home improvement kind of person, but I know that much. Right. And so if we if we look at discipline as the means by which we hope to create a follower of Jesus Christ, then we have to first realize that they're not going. Our children are not going to become disciples of Jesus Christ before they become our disciples. And then in being our disciples, we always have to let them know who it is we are disciples of. Right, right, right. Because if we are not really conscious and understanding that we are a disciple of Christ, then are, we are really only trying to make our children obey us and not properly um, a disciple of the Lord. Right. The expression goes... Actions speak louder than words. And especially in a homeschool setting, if you think you can have your children believe that they should listen to what you say, but they don't see you doing what it is you say to do, then you really are communicating much louder with your actions than you ever will be with your voice. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I have a question about that. If someone says, well, I'm a Christian. And so everything that I teach my kids will by default, just because I'm a Christian, be in a Christian um, context. Is that necessarily true? Okay, let's go back to the definition. What does it mean to be a Christian? Is a Christian someone who says they're a Christian but doesn't act like a Christian? Jesus was pretty specific. He didn't say, you'll know them by their professions of faith. You will know them by their labels. He said, you'll know them by their fruits. So if your children see you use bad language when you stub your toe, no matter what you tell them, if they say the same word, don't say that, they'll know full well that's exactly what they're supposed to hear, but that's not what you do. So being a Christian, if it means faithfully uh, carrying out God's commands, that includes letting those who are under your authority know that when you don't do it according to God's word, you have a need to repent, just like when you correct them, that you're calling them to repentance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, a question that I got recently in one of our classes is that one of my students took exception to the fact that she heard an, uh, an interview I had done with another woman. And this other woman had said, you know, I have to realize from the time my children are born that they're sinners. And this horrified one of the students. She was like, you can't tell me that a two day old baby sins. Um, and I said, well, I can't tell you how 
a two-year-old, a two-day-old baby sins. But I can tell you that that child was born in sin because the scripture says so. So this is one of those things I have to take by faith because uh, the woman was saying, there's no way when my baby cries, that means she needs something. And I said, okay, that could be true since none of us can interview the two-day-old infant and say, tell me exactly why you're crying. It becomes our responsibility as those in charge to attend to the child's needs. So is the child hungry? Is the child's diaper soiled? Is the child sleepy? And, and really all you need to do is help that child go to sleep. Is the child in pain? We don't know. But to say that an infant doesn't have the ability to manifest a sinful nature, you might as well say they're not born in sin. They're born good. The slate is clean. And you know, we don't have to worry about anything until some magical age where they begin to sin. And that, right. that's bad theology. Okay, so it's bad theology to think that our child is just a blank slate. What about they just have to learn how to express themselves and communicate appropriately and that all of that is okay. Like, like when do we really start to... Uh, put them in and require of them what God requires of us. Well, there should never be a time where your infant has not heard the word of God. Now, a lot of people will say, well, okay, she's not going to under, he's not going to understand what I'm saying. You know, I've discovered that babies may not understand the word, but they understand intent. When mom goes, there, 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 you're fine, you're fine. Why do they calm down if they don't understand something? It's not the same as screaming at them. If you put a baby on your shoulder and you start screaming at them, they wouldn't calm down. So the baby must be able to pick up intent. And sure, an infant can't talk. So the only way an infant can vocalize is with cries or coos or whatever. So I think it's faulty to assume every cry of a baby means sin is manifesting itself, just as it's not a good idea to say every cry of a baby isn't. I mean, at what point do we decide we want it our way? When does that magically happen? Well, pretty pretty quickly. You, you can uh, see that that happens pretty quickly. We don't have to teach our babies to, to throw a fit. We don't right. have to teach them. And how, many, how many brothers and sisters had to learn how to fight? Where did they go and get the fight instruction on how you take the toy from someone else or you hit someone when they say or do something you don't like? Where did that get learned? Right. They don't have to do that. But so when that happens, let's let's talk about real, real, real practical discipline. One kid comes up, snatches a toy from the other one. And so. How do we communicate giving real instructions to that child? Um, what's wrong with that? Not not just oh, give it back and say you're sorry, right. but bring me all the way back to a point of biblical discipleship, not just um, requiring that they return it and say they're sorry. Okay, so first of all, you better have context. I know a lot of mothers who uh, knee jerk reaction. One child comes in and says, he took that from me. Mom goes in and says, give it back. Well, first of all, make sure you know what happened. Because just like somebody can grab from someone else, maybe this is going to be news to some people, but children sometimes lie. They sometimes say things that aren't true. 
Are you kidding me? Yeah, no, it's true. I've actually seen it worked out that way. The point is, some children know that if you say something to mom and dad that they really don't like, they can get the other child in trouble. So is it that you're supposed to have your magnifying glass out and your microscope and everything, try to find out where they're sinning? Count on it. Count on the fact that they're sinning. And if you don't count on that fact, then you're going to be surprised. You know, I wrote a series of children's books and one of them was called Teach Me While My Heart is Tender. And in that book, I, although I changed the names of the characters, I tell this very real story of when my six-year-old son was left in charge of my newborn. She was really with a newborn baby. She was a couple of months old. And I was going to take a shower, which I desperately needed. And so I'm in the other room and I hear her crying and I'm thinking, oh, what a good son I have. He's taking care of his sister. Boy, am I going to give him a special treat when I go out? So I finish my shower. I walk out and he has a towel rolled up and he is snapping it in her face. Mm. I was horrified. I mean, my son did this, right? Well, put her down, calmed her down, sent him to the room. And then I called up my husband and I said, do you want to know what your son did? Now, notice how I said that it was his son that did this, right? <laughs> and instead of being horrified or saying, I'm going to come back immediately, you know, he said, did you really think he wasn't going to participate in the fall? Yeah. And I got cut to the quick there because you see, I wanted to think that my son, who was a good kid a lot of the time, not that I had never seen him sin, I just never dreamed he would do that. So the book goes into how we dealt with it, etc. But for people to be surprised that their children do awful things, I wonder if they're as equally surprised that they've done awful things in the past. Do they look back on their childhood and say, oh, I was such a good person. They never had any problem with me. As a matter of fact, my parents were lucky to have me. Right, right. Well, one of the things that I've heard um, one of my daughters um, say is that she is recognizing that she has to have self-discipline before she can discipline. And so I think that that's um, a little bit of wisdom there, That assuming that the self-discipline is not just self-control, but that, again, we're disciplining ourselves under the authority of God and teaching the children um, to to think in terms of what God says. So, uh, for example, when the kids are, are fighting over that these toys and we know that they're a sin, instead of just saying, give it back and say you're sorry, what can we do instead? Can you give me some real practical scriptural um, lessons that they can actually be learning in the, in the moment. Okay. So first of all, let me say that the episode I shared, I sent my son to his room because I couldn't trust what I was going to do. I was so angry. Yeah. So mm -hmm. we should never apply any sort of corporal punishment when it's appropriate. And when it's appropriate is an important um, uh, thing to add there but when we're angry, because then we're likely not to be in control. So your daughter was correct. You need to be self-controlled and self-disciplined. However, if you're tired, if you're harried, if you don't have a true biblical world and life view, 
you're likely to react emotionally. And in reacting emotionally, well, let's say maybe you don't spank the child at that point, but you could come up with the wrong conclusion. You could decide who was wrong and who was right and it not be accurate. So rather than hate these times where the children act like the sinners they are, we should embrace it and say, ah, this is a chance to do something effective here. And so just like the person who had the toy taken away could learn some patience and grace, and just like the person who grabbed it out of the other one's hand could learn to ask and see if there was another way to get what it was he or she wanted, right? These are learning opportunities. Now, I talked about the toolbox and, and the various tools. If people who want to discipline their children don't include praise, rewards, encouragement, instruction, you see, all those things are a way in which we discipline our children to acceptable, godly behavior. Right. So if we only just say, you were bad, that was wrong, go to your room, you lose this, I'm going to spank you. I mean, it's a tool. And I'll tell you, the difference between where you should exercise punishment and penalty and where you should not is have you made the instruction that said, this is something that I want you to do, and this is something I don't want you to do. If you just decide that anytime somebody does something wrong, the only um, uh, resource you have is to spank or deprive of privilege or change their location. Remember, you want to get to the heart of that child because you're in it for the long haul. They're going to be with you for lots of years. You might as well establish godly precedent from the outside things that I observe in my family is how different, well, not just in my family, all over, all over, um, you know, what may be okay to do in one house is not okay to do in the other. For example, all my grandkids know that it's not okay to jump on Nana's couch. Now, some of them get to jump on their couch at their house, but they don't get to jump at Nana's house. So, um, when we're disciplining our children and discipling them and training them for different situations, and it's okay to, to, to do something at one place and not another, um, is that, um, is that the kind of discipline that you're talking about and discipling that you're talking right. about? Well, first of all, um, another funny experience we had years ago, we invited a family over for dinner and um, in the middle of the dinner, their little, I think he was three years old, took off his shoe and put it right in the middle of my husband's plate. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> and his parents said, I won't say the child's name because I know him now as an adult. They said, remember, we don't do that here. And I'm thinking, we don't do that here? We do that at your house. So sometimes, I mean, we didn't ask them to leave immediately. Of course, I got my husband some more food. He didn't eat the shoe plate. Um, and uh, because it happened to be tacos, ever since we referred to this person as Taco Boy, because that was something that had happened in our house. Well, sometimes you get those revelations. So if it's okay to jump on the couch at their house, because they have a jumping couch and mom and dad think it's okay, 
what you're going to be able to demonstrate is liberty. See, we have the liberty to make decisions about our property. And so I don't want you to jump on my couch. Some people have the rule, shoes off before you go into the house. Other people say, don't worry about it. Which is right and which is wrong? Wrong question. Which is right for that family? Which is right for those who have the jurisdiction to make that decision? Um, there are some things that are never right. Um, I, I, you know, and, and we're going to go back to the commandments of God to say that is ne this particular thing is never right. Okay. So, um, so the parents have to be able to make the distinct, this distinction for themselves. What are absolutes and what are, um, areas of liberty? And right. And you're going to someone's house. And so, for example, you get into the habit of saying, I don't know what the rules are there, but I expect you to follow the same rules. We don't do this here. I don't want you to do it there. And even if they do it, that doesn't give you permission to do it. So, yes, it might look like a tremendous amount of fun to jump on the couch. And the child may even say, it's OK. Mom and dad don't, you know, care. Well, first of all, is that child telling you the truth or not? You know, just like your child is prone to lie at times, you can say just because he says it. Now, if Mr. and Mrs. Jones say, hey, you know what? It's okay to jump on the couch. What I instructed my children to say is I, I need to check with my parents. And of course, if they called up and said, mom, is it okay if I jump on the couch? I'd say, I would rather you did not. And right. they would adhere to it. Sometimes that's a way to instruct another family into, is this really what you want to communicate? Are, are you just saying that I cannot restrict my children at all? I want them to express themselves. Well, when they get older, you may not like how they express themselves. Well, help me, help me understand this. At what point do we need to put, um, do we need to recognize things like, um, protecting another person's safety in terms of not to kill? Or at what point are we being good stewards of the things that God has entrusted to our care? This is what wisdom is all about. You see, the first thing you have to do is fear God and keep his commandments. That's what the scripture says is our whole duty. How you get wisdom is that you do fear God. So as a parent, you want to be concerned for yourself that if you're going contrary to what God's word says, that you have reason for concern because God expects us to obey him. And so there may be a time where not so much you talk to the child, but you have to talk to the parent. I know many people whose children play with next door neighbors who might be homeschooling as well. And the children are in a habit of talking back to their parents. The family that I mentor just said, you know what, we're not going to have you go over there and play because it's not a good influence. And mm -hmm. then if the other family says, well, how can we stop playing? Then he said, well, this is why, because this is not something that we think is appropriate. And it's our responsibility to do what we consider right. And so, yeah, are these going to be uncomfortable conversations, sometimes between in-laws and sometimes between, you know, children or whatever? Yes. But that's not the point. The point is we only don't do things that are easy. We do things that are right. Right. 
Yes, yes, yes. Because one of the the points that we need to make is in discipleship is that we are um, that we we start as children, children in Christ, and with our own children. But it's not for them to stay as babies. It's for them to mature and to be able to work as co-laborers in the kingdom of God. And so uh, that that discipline is towards a purpose. Exactly. So right now, it's taking food out of the refrigerator that was saved for dinner without permission. At 10 or 15 years, it's taking the car without permission. It's going into your purse and taking your credit card without permission. Uh, the, the time you invest when they're young, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he won't depart from it. Doesn't mean that every child who is trained not to steal his parents' money or credit card or every child who is taught you ask permission does it. But they are then without excuse because they have been taught. Okay, so um, we've been um, we've been thinking about some things also that that um, we don't want to just discipline our children to to move from this behavior to that behavior, but to recognize the lordship of Christ, submit our, themselves to Him, and train up our children in a way that they are being fit for service. To the Lord, we have. Um, I was reading in a Matthew Henry commentary the other day, and it said, "Good disciples desire to always be under good discipline." Okay. So that that's uh, there's there's a difference between discipline and good discipline. I would say. So for those who think that by not exercising discipline their children will love them more or love God more. Let me point out that as a parent, the only things you can control in your children are their behavior and their speech. So certain things are not appropriate to say. Certain things are not appropriate to do. Certain things are appropriate to do and say. However, if you think you can control their heart and their mind, let me disabuse you of that idea. Number one, if I tell someone I don't even want you to think it, that's such an empty charge or order because you don't know if someone's thinking it or not. And you are never going to change your child's heart from one of being in rebellion against God to one of being in service to him. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Only he can do it. So, what does that leave us with no tools? No, the word of God is the tool. You instruct from the word of God. You let your children know, I'm not making these rules up. These rules apply to me just like they apply to you. And when I'm wrong, I have to go and ask forgiveness from God and from whoever I've wronged. So that's why I said for a child never to have known a time where he was not being given God's word in terms of instruction, correction, praise, whatever it is, then, um, <clears throat> pardon me, then they have this great treasure. This is the wealth of being born into a Christian family who faithfully seeks the 
kingdom of God and his righteousness. So in that capacity, I would say, parents, relax. You are not responsible for the outcome, but God has placed you in charge of the process. Right. And so when you said that we can't control our children's um, thoughts or action, that we can control their thoughts or actions, I'm not sure that we can. But what when we do see that thought or action come forth in a manner that is not in terms of God's um, standard, then then that's what we can see to adjust. It's like I, I think I've shared this um, with you before that we have observed a vine uh, growing and um, up, up a pergola. And when that little tender shoot starts coming out, if we will take the time to, to bring it up to standard, tie it to the post and say, this is the way you should go. Then as that little vine grows and gets stronger, um, then, then it is, it, it, it has the su proper support that it needs to to really flourish and be strong as opposed to being left to its own um, devices and and effectively raising itself then then we really don't get the the strength in that that uh, is is really necessary for it to really produce the fruit that's possible right and I think that's a great analogy <clears throat> because when all is said and done that's what parents are given their charge to train up a child. Um, we can control behavior. We can control speech to a certain point. Then right. person grows up and you might not be able to control the behavior, even wrong behavior or wrong speech, but we can always inform someone's conscience because the Bible says all know the truth and they suppress it in unrighteousness. So a good parent reminds their child, whether they're little or grown up, of the truth of God's word and count on the fact that even if they don't immediately turn from their sin, that they are hearing the truth. And if you are consistently sharing the truth with your children from the time they're little, they may not like it when they're older, but you will have been consistent in discharging your duties as a parent. Right. I, I just before we get off, we've got one more, just another minute. But I, I want to encourage moms who feel like they their kid is just always into it. You know, there are some children that you say, don't touch that thing. And they'll just see how close they can get. And then there's other kids that will say, you say, don't touch that thing. And they'll just be sitting on it and daring you to get them off. And my my encouragement to you is to realize that both of those children have a heart that are against God, but the one that you can see doing it, at least you know what you're dealing with. And sometimes that child may be more, um, more tiring, but it is a blessing to see uh, the, to see what's coming out of that little heart. And that reminds me of the story Jesus told of the two sons and the father comes in and says, go do what you're supposed to do. And one says, yes, dad, but never does it. And the other one says, not a chance, but he goes and does it. Right. Mm -hmm. We also have to judge our children by their fruits, not by their words. Because like I said, 
Some are very good. Yes, mom. Yes, dad. And you don't find out until much later that they were never really with you. They yeah. said they were with you, but they weren't really with you. Mm-hmm. All right. So I am going to put up um, a book there, uh, a series of books, my two books on homeschooling, the homeschool life and lessons learned. And then a book that I think is very important, uh, the philosophy of the Christian curriculum, getting back to not only in your academic teaching, but what the milieu of Christian education really looks like. And uh, both those books are available at calcedon.edu. I highly recommend them. Nancy, thank you for once again uh, sharing with me the kinds of questions and issues that come up in your work um, with the homeschoolers in your area. Thank you, Andrea. All right. Okay, everyone. So join us again next time for uh, another edition of uh, the Homeschooling Help with Andrea Schwartz live on Facebook. And please do send your questions ahead of time if you're interested and share this with others so that uh, those who are contemplating homeschooling or those who are eager to stay the course have good help along the way. Catch you next time. Thank you for joining Andrea Schwartz and the Kingdom Driven Family Podcast, holding up the family and self-government as a true and lasting means of transforming society. Please visit thekingdomdrivenfamily.com and reconstructionistradio.com.